The next supporter of the podcast is RX Bar. RX Bar is the company that I work for full time, as you probably all know by now. And we're the makers of that cool protein bar that you look at and it has all the ingredients on the front. And then we say there's no BS as well. Um, you guys got to check it out if you haven't tried an RX Bar before. Um, all of our ingredients are right there on our packaging. We don't lie about any of the shit that goes into most other protein bars. And we tell how it is right on the front. We have protein bars for adult. We call them adult bars, but just the normal RX bar. We have a kid's line, which is fantastic. Minis, which is smaller RX bars for those of you who you know want a smaller snack. We have a nut butter line of single serve and multi-serve flavors. Um, we launched a layers bar, which is a combination of a protein or the RX bar and a nut butter layer on top. And then we also have RX oats. So think better for you oatmeal with egg whites and higher protein. So give it a shot. The link is in the bio and thanks RX bar for supporting the podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. Thank you all for listening today. Um, I had a guest scheduled today um, that I was really excited about, but we had to postpone it and get it moved. But in lieu of not having an episode today, I actually have a concept, a topic that I thought would be fun to talk about. So I've had a few of these in a row now, but today is a solo podcast. And as always, I'll remind you guys, if you want to listen to some of the interviews, there are plenty you can scroll down to and listen instead. But I think today, most of you actually will find a lot of interest in this one. And it actually popped up a conversation that I had um, during my day job. I had some people that I was chatting through, just some questions around um, the concept of, you know, Company, public companies planning or doing budgets. And the way I'm going to kind of walk through and explain this is how it impacts investors like you. And really the episode today, it's just titled How Corporate Finance Influences Stock Price Movements. So this is actually a topic that's kind of near and dear to my heart. It, um, and it's because that's what my day job has been since I started working in finance um, over six years ago. So kind of going to walk you guys through today just a um, you know an intro into how essentially decisions that are made inside companies, how that flows all the way down, and then how that eventually impacts stock prices. So for any of you guys who, you know, especially for anyone who has no finance background, I think this will be a lot of interest to you because um, I think most people probably don't know how much actually goes into all of the steps that at the end of the day end up influencing stock prices. As hopefully a lot of you on here have now at least tried to follow the stock market. Maybe you've downloaded Robinhood or another platform and it started in your investing journey. But I think the one common thing that I get or uh, talk to people about is just the confusion of, you know, where does um, the information come from that's influencing the stock prices, right? So you're maybe you're following um, some stocks, maybe you've invested in some, you're following the market, 
and you you see the the fluctuations in the price, um, but maybe you're just a little bit uncertain of how those are happening. So I'm going to kind of walk you guys through um, essentially the process of of releasing this information to the public. So I'm going to back up all the way to essentially what I've done um, on and off through my career, different capacities at different companies and in different teams. And that's what's called forecasting. And so what happens at a, so if you're a public company, uh, I'll back it up all the way. So if you're in a public company and uh, you're in finance, so not all, you know, all functions of finance have different components, but if you're on the, a team that does any sort of forecasting, what you're kind of trying to do is you're looking at business metrics. So let's say, um, I'll start with my first job. I worked at a company called Cummins. We made diesel engines. So I was constantly looking at actuals, which is like how many engines the company has actually sold. Then it was my job to use what we call assumptions or just like basically um, assumed components in the future, whether that's, you know, demand from potential customers of like how many engines they might need in the future. Um, whether that's, you know, we're launching a new engine. So we're kind of taking an educated guess on how many we're going to sell. Essentially my job was to help the team develop a plan. You know, let's say we sold 10 engines this month. Um, we sold 15 the month before. What is next month's engine sales look like? What is the next three months and what's all of next year look like? Obviously, and this is what I told uh, the people I was talking to earlier, with any forecast in any industry, the first assumption is you're going to be wrong, okay? <laughs> Before you even get started, if you're someone who's interested in doing this or if you want to learn more about it, is a forecast is always going to be wrong. Um, the key, though, is trying to be not as wrong. So being within a reasonable margin of error um, to ensure that you are somewhat consistent in the numbers you're sharing and the numbers that actually become reality. So that is like the building block. So that there, there are people that, you know, every public company that are building forecasts um, in all different types of capacities. And in my example here where we're selling engines, that was something that I was working on. So, you know, once a month, I'm updating a forecast for the next month, the next quarter, the next year sometimes. And then those numbers are passed around internally in a company. So, you know, you might have teams review this, make changes. Then it goes up the ladder and you might have like a vice president review like an entire region. They'll make changes. They'll update their forecast. And eventually it keeps trickling up and up and up until the CEO of a public company gets the, the new, you know, forecast or the plan um, for the following quarter. So once that happens, that is partially... Um, what goes to what's called the quarterly earnings report. And if you're a public company, one of the things that you're required to do um, by being a public company is that you have to share your quarterly results or your earnings. So think of a profit and loss statement, an income statement, a P&L. Those are all the same thing. Um, you have to actually share that with Wall Street so that your investors, people like you and me who you know, maybe bought Cummins on Robinhood uh, can see how the company's performing. You're public. You have to publicly share your sales. So you have to actually publicly share how many engines you sold and how much you made on those engines. And so in this example, um, we're here at a, you know, let's say we're at the end of December, it's coming up. That'll be for a lot of companies, 
what's called the end of Q4. So obviously there's four quarters in a year. The, for most companies, not all companies, it depends on, you know, every company is, is different. Um, but a vast majority of companies, their Q1 for our quarter one is January through March. Quarter two is usually April through June. And then quarter three is July through September, Q4, October through December. So usually what happens is um, actually in January, Cummins would share their Q4 earnings results. So in, in Q1, so like the first couple of weeks of January after their team has a couple of weeks to um, consolidate all of their actual reports, put together a presentation, get internal alignment, um, the company will have a quarterly earning release and they will basically walk everyone through what happened in October, November, December versus what they had forecasted earlier in the year. So like I said before, there was a forecast that maybe I helped build in January that was planning for the entire 2020 year. And now that we're in January of the following year, we're going to be going back and comparing, um, how we performed versus the plan or the budget. That's kind of like what a lot of companies will use. They'll do that once a year to create a yearly plan. And that helps them plan things like headcount, like how many people we're going to hire or keep on the payroll, how much we're going to spend on marketing to make sure we get all the new news out about all these engines. Um, you know, it covers any expenses like offices, computers, um, health benefits, actually producing the product. That's, you know, usually what one of the major expenses is for any company is for an engine, right? It costs a lot of money to make an engine. So all of that is in the plan and it's all based off of how many engines we expect to sell. If we sell less than we planned, we're going to have less money to spend on things like marketing or people or the office. If we sell more than we have planned, well, in some regard, that could be a good thing because we have extra money that we didn't plan for. But you also want to be close. You don't want to go too far, far over on a forecast or too far below because if you have extra left over, um, that means you could have missed out on marketing spend in a past quarter that could have helped drive incremental sales. So you might have left some money on the table as far as where you either wanted to invest more or give back to your shareholders and dividends. Um, that's kind of how that piece works. So these forecasts are happening all the time. Usually once a month, they're getting updated. But then once a quarter, like I said, the CEO and uh, usually the CFO and maybe some people from investor relations will be on this call with analysts from Wall Street once a quarter. And anyone can call in. These are public uh, calls. Uh, if you go you know, in Robinhood or go on any investing platform, um, there's information each quarter when all the, every company has to have one of these calls. You can call in and listen to it live, um, which is kind of cool to do if you've never done so. You can hear you know, CEOs, CFOs talk about what's going on at their company and um, you know, good and or bad things coming up. Um, so these, like I said, these forecasts are constantly happening. That's how the company kind of steers the ship and decides you know, what performance is going to look like in the near and longer term future. Now, when... Uh, you know, a CEO or CFO shares out these quarterly earnings. Um, there's a lot of things they're trying to consider. So if you're someone who is an analyst on Wall Street, you're calling in to understand, hey, the plan that they set in place at the beginning of the year, are they going to hit that? Are they going to miss that? And why? And on the call, you'll hear, you know, the executives of the company walking through the story of what happened. And then they'll also talk about what the future looks like or what the projections look like for the rest of the year or the next quarter. And 
after they kind of tell the story is like, it's basically what I like to explain. The CEO, the CFO and investor relations, they're basically trying to pitch a story to Wall Street and all of us that like they're doing well or if they're not trying to explain why and why they're turning the ship around and they're going to get things back on track. It's usually the narrative, no matter what. You're trying to drive excitement for investors so that you, people like you and me want to go and buy their stock. So the executives are... Um, you know, they're trying to essentially spin a story. And what's really interesting about being part of um, any public company, and if you're an investor paying attention to public companies, is um, it's kind of an art. And it really is. They're not lying. They're not trying to deceive anybody. But with any hit or miss of a number versus what you planned, you can, you can look at anything uh, with, you know, two different sides of the coin, right? You can look at things, you can look at problems or issues as potential opportunities, or you can look at them as problems. And I think, if, you know, I've listened to so many uh, of these different um, earnings releases. I've also been, you know, a part of uh, now three different companies who have, you know, had a public component to it. Um, it's interesting to hear how I can see a number on a, you know, a PL or a spreadsheet and you can hear someone like a CEO or CFO spin that into being hopefully a positive story for the company. Um, it's definitely a talent. It's something that, you know, people work on to do. Um, and like I said, it's not meant to be deceiving. It's just that with any company, a, a, being in business is really just solving problems. That's, that's all we all do in finance or businesses. We're constantly faced with new problems, new issues, and we're trying to just solve them. And we're trying to figure out how we can, can steer the ship in the right direction. So like I said, once a quarter, the executives will share this out. The analysts will ask questions. And then what's kind of what's happening in the background is the analysts will then take this information uh, from these earnings calls. They have their own financial models, you know, in their Excel or their software systems that they use. And they essentially run these new numbers. So, you know, if the CEO or CFO gives new guidance is what it's called into what they expect sales growth to look like over the next quarter or the next year, they'll run their own financial models to basically try to predict the uh, profitability and different financial metrics that they'll then, these CEOs and CFOs will then share out next quarter. So basically what they're trying to do is they're building their own income statements and they're basically trying to build their own forecasts given the guidance that the executive teams give. So these analysts kind of serve as essentially like a third party middle person between you and me as the investor who maybe isn't either A, as well, um, you know, financially versed and doesn't know how to do that type of work. B, doesn't have the time or want to spend the kind of uh, time or energy, you know, building financial models. I would say a vast majority of people don't want to do that. Um, and three, it's kind of a checks and balances system. So you kind of have, if you, if you can see me here, if you're watching the video, you have, you know, the companies who you're investing in, but they're the ones that are trying to spin a good story. You have over here the, um, you know, investors like, all of, of like you and me who are on Robinhood buying companies. And in the middle, you kind of have these analysts who are basically trying to take the words that the executives are saying and spin it into a meaningful, simple, whether I should buy more of this or sell this company, kind of those two things or hold on. Basically three things. Analysts are saying you should either buy this stock because we, we expect the price to go up. You should sell this stock because we actually don't like what they said and they should, and their price is probably going to go down 
or hold on to it because honestly what they said is neither good nor bad and the price is not expected to change. Those are the, that's what an analyst's job is to do. And they're on Wall Street for the most part um, and that is their job. They analyze companies, they look at earnings reports and they try to predict what companies' movements on the stock market are going to do. So just to keep walking you through what a, what a, you know, a quarter looks like for a public company. So now the executive team has had this meeting analysts, you know, got to ask their questions on the call. So you actually have analysts like, you know, hitting unmute and they're asking a CEO a question, you know, question on, you know, January of next year, why do you think you guys are going to sell a hundred more engines than you did last year? Can you explain a little further? Those are the types of questions they're getting. A lot of times they're very pointed. They're very, um, they're very direct and they're trying to poke holes in the story of the executive team. That's where people like me at a public company as a, you know, a finance manager, or, you know, an analyst or a director, or whatever your level is in finance, that's where then you're going back and you're before this call, you know, you're trying to kind of answer a lot of those questions that they might get. So you're kind of building a defense for, you know, your executive team. You know, if we get questions here, this is what we think. This is why we assumed what we assumed. Um, this is why we're planning for what we're planning is to kind of build a defense, like I said, um, for the, those types of questions. Now, if the executive team did a good job, they're well-versed, they know the story, their assumptions and their story all backs up, then the analysts go back and this is when they do all their analyzing. They'll go through, they'll take all the information they got out of the call and they'll put their own forecast together. So then they're building their own forecast outside of what maybe I built, right? Eventually, not too long after, the analysts will publicly come out and they'll release their, their, their guidance, right? Which is basically, like I said, it's either buy, sell, or hold. And there's different levels, but they're basically telling everybody, people like you and me, hey, you should buy some of this. Like they're going to blow up. They're, they're doing all the right things. They're growing. You should sell. They're, they're honestly heading in the wrong direction. Something's not going right. They disagree with an assumption or hold, um, you know, the price. And it's all reflective of the current stock market price. And then they give guidance. So let's just say the company I was talking about, Cummins, let's say they're selling at $65 a share. They'll say like buy, they think the price is going to go up and then they'll give a price target. So they'll be like, it's a 65 today. Given the metrics they shared out, I expect the price to go to $75 by the end of next quarter. So they'll, they'll share all that, whether it's up, down, or staying the same. So once that information is public, uh, you know, analysts are, in most circles are held with high regard as knowing and understanding how this stuff works really well. People trust their opinions. Like I said before, most people who are investors are, number one, they're not, they're not financial analysts themselves, most of them, right? Number two, you're not spending the time and energy to call into a conference call, ask a CEO a question, go back and do their own analysis, and then make a decision whether they're going to buy or sell a stock. 99.9% .9 of people are not in that camp of spending that much time doing it before they buy a company's stock. So people take them seriously and people do what they say. And um, not it's not like people, you know, take every single analyst's opinion as gospel. But as a whole, if an analyst comes out and says buy, most of the time their stock price actually jumps because people are buying the stock. The supply and demand swings that way. Less supply than there is demand, price goes up. If uh, they say sell, usually, I mean, a lot of times the stock price will take a hit and it'll sell. So you don't want to get downgraded if you're a company by an analyst. That is not good. Um, that usually means that you're going to see a dip in your stock price. 
So that's how that kind of works. That's how like a share out happens once a quarter um, from an executive team. You know, it's built by people like me who are helping the executive team build the story from the ground up, go through all the assumptions and understand why we think it's going to go where it's going to go. Then the analysts get to hear this. They get to put their own spin on the story. Then they get to have their public opinion of how it is. And then investors like you or me usually listen to those analysts and buy or sell companies or hold companies depending on that. That is usually what you're seeing, especially around earnings season. So, you know, once a quarter, for example, Cummins, like the company I've been talking about, when they have an earnings release, um, you will see around then, um, that's when you, a lot of times you'll see price fluctuations more so than normal. Obviously, this happens once a quarter, so the price is changing all the time. So there's plenty of other things that are driving price, like just macro market conditions, like I said in the last episode, you know, a vaccine positive um, trial report coming out impacts tons of every company in some way shape or form whether it's positive or negative but this is specifically when they when they release new information around earnings so that is kind of how it works i hope that makes sense from an analyst inside a company helping build a build a forecast to a ceo or cfo sharing out that new forecast to these analysts then analyzing making their guidance public and investors like you or me actually buying or selling the stock. And that's what's driving price changes. So that's what's happening around earnings season. Now, one other thing I wanted to hit on, which I think is an important piece of the puzzle is, you know, like I said before, executives are not trying to deceive. They're not, they're not lying at all usually, but they do, they are able to spin their own story on good or bad news. And Obviously, if you're a CEO, like you want the stock price to go up, you want the company you're leading to be valued more tomorrow than it was yesterday. Like all of that's very obvious. But one thing that I don't know if a ton of people fully understand is that it's not just like a tap, like a pat on the back, like good job, I did this while I was CEO. I'm so pumped that we, you know, our stock price grew, which gave uh, equity to the company, and and this is all good. It's usually in I would say almost every single occasion, the CEO, CFO, all the executive teams, part of their compensation package is something called stock options. So for example, a CEO normally in a major public company is going to make a nice, pretty salary. You know what I mean? They're going to be making probably a couple million dollars at least in just base salary, what they bring home a year plus benefits. And then they get this thing called a stock option. And so what is a stock option? So for an executive, they will, when they plan their yearly budget or their plan, a lot of times, and this is, again, I'm generalizing. There are every, every executive has their own contract that has been negotiated with different clauses and different things. But this is just a general consensus of what executives at a lot of public companies will have. So they have their base salary, which they'll make no matter what. And then they'll have these stock options. And so what happens is, like I said at the beginning, you know, if we say we're going to sell 100 engines and the CEO and the CFO are driving that ship, trying to help make decisions and make sure we hit 100 engines, if we get to the end of the year and we actually sold 105 engines and we beat our goal or we hit our goal, the board of directors who at a public company, you have your executive team, like a CEO, a CFO, a CMO, tons of chief executives of, or chief something. So they'll run like a function. A CFO is a chief financial officer. That person leads the entire finance function. A CMO is a chief marketing officer. So they'll lead the entire marketing function. 
The board of directors, though, is someone, people that are seated that are not in the day-to-day of the business, but get to make the final decisions um, for major things in the company. So usually the CEO is sits on the board of directors. Usually they're one of um, a list of, of directors that sit on the board that have final decision-making rights. And they're the ones that approve the CEO's stock option um, clauses. So again, backing up, just want to give you that context. If we sell 105 engines, then the CEO usually gets paid their salary plus they'll actually get stock in that company paid to them. So the company will buy this, they'll buy, let's just say for fund numbers, they'll buy a hundred shares of Cummins and the CEO owns then a hundred shares of Cummins for hitting those goals. So what happens is if you think full circle, the CEO and the executives are, they are a hundred percent incentivized on hitting whatever plan they set in place. If they spin the stories the right way, if they get people excited, if they get analysts excited and bought into their story, which then gets people like you and me excited and bought into their story. And then we buy the stock, which then lowers the supply, drives up the demand and the stock price goes up. Now they're getting stock. They're getting, you know, think about one stock is a little piece of paper. They're going to get paid a hundred of those pieces of paper. If it was worth, like I said in the beginning, if it was worth 65 last quarter because of all this great stuff and we sold five more engines than we promised, it goes up to 75. I just got a hundred shares or a hundred little pieces of paper that are all worth 10 more tomorrow that they were worth yesterday. And you can sit on those. Like the, they own those shares of the company. They can sit on them. They can sell them right away. If you're a, if you're a, you know, a CEO and you, you know, Usually it's a lot more than a hundred shares. If you have a company who uh, you know pays you a million shares, uh, and that might be you know that's probably way over the top, but it can turn into real money real quick. And a lot of executives actually make more money on their stock options than they do their salaries. So, and that's not that's not that's designed to drive um, success, to drive hitting goals, to drive. Essentially, for an executive, this would mean that the success of the company they're running turns into the success of their bank accounts, right? So they're incentivized to to meet success requirements. And if they didn't, then they could just take home that nice, pretty salary and the company could miss all their targets and it wouldn't be as big of a deal. So that's why executives are incentivized that way. And that's what, what commonly happens. So, you know, the better job they can do to go to bat against all these analysts once a quarter and improve to them that their story is worth um, investing in and buying into. And then those analysts turn around and tell you and me, go, go buy this stock. The stock is going to go up. Um, That then turns into dollars in their own pocket. So it's a big life cycle at a public company of how this works. Um, I hope that's really helpful. I, this is a, this is a tough, it's, there's a ton of information in here and that this is a tough one to quickly break down and explain uh, in a title of a podcast. But if you know anyone who you think would value from listening to this, um, please send it and share it to them. Um, I thought this was a really fun topic to talk about. This is kind of like the epitome of why I love finance is just how this whole thing works. I think it's so interesting Um, if you have any questions, as always, you can find me on social media, uh, Shane underscore white, um, on Instagram. That's the best place to to chat, chat me, DM me, ask me any questions. Um, 
yeah, and that's it for today, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, this was a really fun one for me. I love talking about the stock market, and it's been a little while since we've gone into a deep concept like this. But this really is the epitome of how the stock market and public companies work and fluctuate and why executives are incentivized the way they are. So I think there's a lot of value in this episode. Uh, if you found value, please share it out. Give it to a friend, um, you know, leave a review, all that fun stuff. And I hope you guys enjoyed. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I appreciate it. I hope you guys all have a great day. Stay healthy, stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, goodbye.